Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if you're new with us today, you got a connection card in your program. And you can fill that out and put it in the offering bag as it goes by later. And that is, that's just for us to send you an email and for you to check whatever box you want to check. We're not going to hound you. We're not going to put you on a list. We're just going to say, this is who we are. If you want coffee, we'll grab coffee with you. We'll pay for it. We'll take you out to lunch. We'll, whatever you guys need, it's, it's there for that. And if this is your church, you can put a prayer request on there and we will pray for you. So um, also drop that in the offering bag as it goes by later. So we're in our 101 series, <clears throat> excuse me, and we've been going through this series in the summer, and it's called 101 because we're talking about the basics of the faith. We're talking about the, the foundations of the faith. So uh, what's been awesome about this series is for a lot of you guys, or some of you guys who have, sorry, this thing's, there we go. Some of you guys who have grown up in church have have uh, benefited from this because we're trying to show you the basics of the faith in a different light. Those of you who haven't ever been in church before or are very new to church and the Christian faith, it's also been beneficial for you because uh, we're hopefully starting you off on the right foundation. So you can see here we've gone through a bunch of different things, kingdom, faith, God. Yeah, I did a whole sermon just on God. (laughs) The Bible, Jesus, cross, Holy Spirit was last week, and today we're talking about prayer. And what we're trying to do is give you a way, not just to understand this for yourselves, but to take this and what we give you and engage our society with it. That's why we're, we're saying how, how basic truth engages society. And how do, you talk to, how do you talk to people about prayer who don't know anything about prayer, who don't know what prayer is? What, I mean, for people who, who don't pray, for people outside the church, for people who are non-religious, non-faith-oriented, uh, prayer probably just seems like speaking into nothing. Right? You're just talking out loud, right? You're, you're sharing your thoughts out loud. So we're gonna, I'm going to walk you through this passage, and we're going to talk about what it means for us when we talk about prayer. All right, so anybody here love to go to the gym besides David Cho? We know he does. He's, he's like three times my size. So um, I'm not a gym guy. As you can see, like I've never been, I don't like the gym, I don't like the gym culture, I don't, I don't like to work out, um, I like to play sports, and that's kind of my, my workout, but I don't like to pump that iron or anything like that, so, but I have worked out in my life, and, but when I do, it's for, you know, more brief months at a time, and it's normally at like a, a home workout thing, like a, a DVD thing. Has anybody done P90X? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, a lot of people. So most of you guys know what P90X is. For those of you guys who don't know, it's, it's basically like a three-month intensive workout program that's supposed to take you from my physique to David Cho's physique. <laughs> I've done it twice, obviously. 
um, probably not the best testimonial for, for P90X results. But it's super intense, and it's, it's every day, or six days a week, I think, hour-long sessions. And when I say it's intense, like people have thrown up after doing one session of it. I get, there's one whole session that is just an, an hour of this. It's, it's like two minutes of push-ups, 30-second rest, two minutes of pull-ups, 30-second rest, two minutes of push and it just alternates from, from uh, push-ups to pull-ups back, back and forth. You can't use your arms for a week after you do something like that. Well, I couldn't. <laughs> um, and, uh, but P90X is also good because it's trying to create a discipline in your life. It's not just about working out. It's trying to create uh, a healthy rhythm in your life. So uh, they talk about eating right as well, not just working out. And they actually put in a session of yoga in there, an hour and a half session of yoga in the middle of your week so that you learn how to take care of your body and you learn how to, um, how to stretch and, and all those things. Out of all the sessions in P90X, all the ones that potentially can make me throw up, um, whether it's legs, plyometrics, um, you know, the, the push-ups, pull-ups thing. I hated the yoga. I hated it. Because, now some of you guys might look forward to it because it's, it's the, the time in your week where you slow down and you can focus on certain parts of the body and, and you stretch. But it was so boring to me. And it's difficult. Yoga's not easy. Yoga is difficult, but it was just so boring. And so I never wanted to do it. So what I would do is I would, instead of doing yoga, I would replace it with one of the throw-up workouts. I would replace it with, like, pull-ups again or something like that, um, which probably didn't... Maybe that's why I'm not the best, best testimonial for, for this, because I didn't do it right. But I would take out the, the session that was, you're supposed to just sit there and relax on and put in something else. Now, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, it's a lot like working out, okay? So spiritual disciplines, this would be like uh, reading your Bible. This would be prayer, uh, sharing your faith, being in community, fasting, uh, giving, um, worship, serving. All these are spiritual disciplines. And... There's some spiritual disciplines that you guys like doing better than others if you're a follower of Jesus. There's some that are just more natural to you. There's some that you just gravitate towards. So you may like reading your Bible more than you like giving. You may gravitate towards being in silence and solitude more than you do in community. Uh, but they're all spiritual disciplines, and we need all of them in order to live a holistic, holistic life uh, in pursuit of Jesus, right? So, uh, but for me... And here's my confession, my pastoral confession to you. The spiritual discipline that is like yoga and P90X is prayer for me. Now you're like, oh, we have a pastor who doesn't pray. <laughs> no, 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 I don't substitute it. But, but uh, so I do pray, uh, and I, I love prayer, but it, it takes a lot more work for me than the other spiritual disciplines. Because, well, here's a few reasons I probably don't. Like, I hate asking for help. At the heart of, of prayer is the request. It's asking God for something. We'll get to that more in a second. Um, uh, I, I hate silence and solitude. I'm just not good at it. Uh, and prayer is not just a monologue. It is, it's a dialogue. Uh, but it also involves silence and solitude. I just don't like being alone. Like I, I love people. So 
that, that's probably <laughs> a reason why it's, it's difficult for me. Um, and then there's probably a couple more. But uh, prayer, prayer is one of those things that personally... I have to work at. And it's a discipline. And here's the thing with spiritual disciplines. They're spiritual, so they're not natural. Okay? So those of you guys who feel like, man, it's so hard to read your Bible, or it's so hard to have a generous heart, or it's so difficult to actually live in community, it's because it's not natural for you. It's not natural for any of us. They're spiritual. They used to be natural. Then the fall happened, sin happened, sinful nature happened. And instead of pursuing community, we actually uh, retreat from community. Instead of giving generously, we actually don't, or we give with a stingy heart. Um, And we can go through, through all of them like that. But these things are supposed to give us life, right? They're designed to give us life, the life that we're always meant to live, the life that Jesus wants to give us, the abundant life. Uh, and, but they take work because they're not natural. And two, they're discipline. Okay? You have to practice them. You have to do them over and over again. Like I said, I, I, would, go, I would work out for three months at a time, but then I'd eat Cheetos for the rest of the year. Like it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So a discipline is something that you get into the rhythm of, and it begins to transform your life. And prayer is one of these things, okay? So here's the bottom line for today. And this is the one point that we're going to take throughout the entire sermon. Because one of the only things, and I'll read it real quick. So prayer is not just about a personal relationship. It's about a positional relationship. Because here's the thing. One of the only things that, and maybe the only thing in the scriptures that we see the disciples asking Jesus to teach them is prayer. And that's because they see Jesus doing it. The passage says Jesus is praying, and the disciples see him, and they observe him, and they come up to him, and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now, this wasn't because they'd never seen anybody pray before. This wasn't because they'd never heard anybody pray before. And this wasn't because they'd never prayed themselves. It was because they'd never seen anybody pray like Jesus before. They never heard anyone pray like Jesus before. And they themselves had never prayed like Jesus before. And they see both these elements in there when Jesus is praying. They see that he's in this intimate, personal relationship. And they also see something that we don't think about a lot of times in prayer, that it's also a positional relationship, which we'll talk about as the sermon goes on. So note that, and then let's walk through the passage. So this is Matthew chapter... 6, beginning in verse 5. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this is Jesus. This is his longest recorded sermon in the scriptures. He is explaining the kingdom of heaven to us. The Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom manifesto. And he's explaining to us what the kingdom looks like. And that's why in here he says, uh, he says, blessed are they, he begins with the the Beatitudes, blessed are they who do this, 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 who are like this, peacemakers, the poor in spirit, uh, those who uh, uh, give mercy, uh, and he goes, those who persecute for righteousness sake. And then, and then he says, the kingdom looks like this. You love your enemies. You, you take out lust out of your life, anger, you know, and, and he begins to develop a rubric for the kingdom citizen for how we're supposed to look if we're actually genuinely following Jesus. So this is right in the middle of that, this, this prayer. 
And he says, this is what you look like. He says, when you pray, in verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites. And this is what the hypocrites are like. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So you see their motive there. He says, truly I say to you, they've received their reward. And Jesus isn't being vindictive there. He's saying they wanted to be seen by others, and they've been seen by others. They received their reward. That's what they wanted. They got it. They didn't even care about the prayer. He says their motive was to be seen. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who's in secret, or who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, let's be clear. Prayer, Jesus isn't telling us that prayer is only effective when we're in a prayer closet or when we're closed into a room with no windows or where we're in the dark. He's not talking about environment as much as he's talking about motive here, right? He says the motive for someone who's going to pray in public so that everyone sees them and everyone affirms their religiosity and, and says, wow, that's such a pious person, that's their reward. They, they receive that. The person who, whose motive is, is to just be in relationship with the Father, that's a totally different reward. And he says the Father will reward them. Going on to verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Basically, he's saying, uh, and that, that word can be translated this way, that don't, don't keep on babbling. Is, is what this means. So don't, don't just throw out vain repetition as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles are anyone who's not a Jew. So he says the nations, everyone else. So don't, don't do what they would do. And, and what he's talking about there is, um, you know, a lot of times in different, different religions, especially in that day, people would offer up uh, magical incantations. So you have this magical phrase you would use. Um, or, or people would be very formal, so formal invocations. And he's saying, we don't pray like that. We don't have to be formal, and there's no magic phrase. How many of you guys think, though, that saying in Jesus' name, amen, gets you what you want in your prayer? I mean, that we, we kind of use that as a magical phrase, right? If we don't say in Jesus' name, amen, is it actually valid? Jesus would say, yeah, it, it is. It's not about... It's not about that phrase. It's about praying with Jesus in this relationship in the Father, okay? And he knows your heart. So he says in verse 7, don't pray like that. That's how the Gentiles pray. This is how, and, and then he's about to show us how a kingdom citizen prays. But he says they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Now, and he says don't be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, Here's the thing. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't repeat ourselves in prayer. Jesus himself does this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays a saint, the same prayer three times in the Garden. And it says he uses the same exact word. So he's not talking about repeating ourselves. We can do that. He's not talking about not being persistent in prayer because we should do that as well. Um, I mean, Luke... There's a parable in Luke where, that Jesus gives about the persistent widow that shows that he wants us to be persistent in pursuing the Father in prayer. So it's, it's not, so don't say, I, I shouldn't repeat, I shouldn't, you know, 
I shouldn't be uh, persistent. Jesus himself does these things. He, and then don't think, oh, well, long prayers are invalid either, because Jesus, there's a passage in the scriptures where Jesus goes and prays all night. So it's not about that either. It's just about the motive, the heart. It's about vain repetition that doesn't, that, that doesn't mean anything. He says, he says, they think they'll be heard by their many words, but your father, he already knows what you need. And Adam alluded to this, I think, I don't know if it was in the opening or before we, in our prayer before we, maybe when you prayed over, over us before we started. But uh, I have two daughters, a six-year-old, almost six-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And they tell me things all the time that I already know. Like, that's basically all they do. <laughs> um, whether it's some piece of knowledge or, or whether it's something they've done that they didn't know that I saw, and they, they come to tell me about it. And each time, I can't wait to hear about it. Every time, I'm like, yes, just tell me. And I join in with their joy, and, and we have an awesome time, and, and, and it's because I'm, I'm their father, I'm their daddy. That's the same thing that Jesus is getting to here. He's, he says, your father already knows what you need of him, but he just wants you in relationship with him. He wants to join in with your joy. He wants to join in with your sorrow and your mourning. He wants to join in when, with your good times and your bad times. He wants to be there with you. And that's, that's, uh, that's the essence of prayer. So going to verse, verse 9 then, he says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's, let's stop there. So what Jesus is doing here is he's giving, us, he's giving us a model. He's not telling us this is what we should pray as much as he's telling us how we should pray. Does that make sense? The ironic thing, the really ironic thing, is that a lot of people take the Lord's Prayer and it just becomes a vain repetition. When Jesus has just said, we don't pray like that. But we, you, we hear the Lord's Prayer repeated all the time. And it becomes this, this thing that people say without actually thinking of the words, right? And Jesus, so Jesus is saying, we don't necessarily have to pray this, but he's telling us how to do it. And he's trying to show us what a kingdom citizen lives like. Because if you look at this, this, uh, p- this prayer, it starts off with two words, our and father. He's, he's establishing a couple things here. One, it's our father. This is not everybody's father. This, isn't, this is those who have submitted themselves as kingdom citizens, the kingdom of God, to following Jesus and have recognized him as father. Okay? Um, this isn't to those who haven't done that. So this prayer is, is focused on, this prayer is really only for disciples to pray. Because they're the only ones who are actually going to believe those things, which we'll get to in a second. Um, sorry, this thing keeps on moving. All right, there we go. The second thing is, it's to Father. Now, this is, this is a, it's not brand new, but Jesus brings calling God Father into, into vogue. Like he brings it basically into existence. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, 
father is used to reference God a few times, but it's, 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 it's more like, not in, it's not in direct reference, it's more in uh, analogy. Like he is, he's our father, he's the father of, of this and he's the father of that, not actually calling God father. So when Jesus does it, it it's unique. Okay? And, and Matthew, the writer of this gospel, has picked up on this and he's, he uses father as God's designation more in those first six chapters than the entire Old Testament has in terms of indirect analogy. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus' favorite term for God, is the Father. I love nicknames. So, um, <laughs> uh, I wish I could call people, I, I would re- I wish I, I would call people nicknames to their face. Like, I love nicknames for people. And I may have a nickname for you, but uh, I never know how people are going to take nicknames. Um, but I, I, just, I just love it. It's because it, it's affectionate. It shows like uh, something else. There's a more personal take to it. In my family, we have, we have a bunch of nicknames. So, well, Missy, my wife, her name is a nickname. Uh, that's not her real name. Uh, and... Uh, and then also she has Moose. Uh, her family calls her Moose, which, yeah, you guys are like, oh, that's, that's weird. Um, there's, a story, there's a story there. For Emerson, my first daughter, she is Emmy. She's Emmy Bear, Baby Bear, Turbo. She does not like Turbo. Do not call her Turbo. She'll, she'll kill me. It's because she's really slow at doing some things. Like, getting, getting ready for school in the morning. And I'm like, let's go, Turbo. Come on. And she always gives me this look, like, don't call me that. And I'm like, well, don't be like that. And I'll stop calling you that if you actually pick up the pace. Because it's from this movie where the snail, I, you remember the snail movie? I never saw it, but his name was Turbo, I guess. I don't know. Um, Reagan, she is, she's Ray Ray, Little Ray, um, Carrots, which is from Zootopia. Um, she is, oh, she's squishy. Uh, that's my nickname for her, which she does like. And you guys are like, ooh, don't call your daughter that. She loves it because it's from Finding Nemo. You know, where, she, where Dory's like, that's my squishy, and I will call him squishy. And Reagan's just so huggable, and, and she loves it. She loves me calling her that. Growing up in my family, um, my name's Mike. <laughs> Uh, my sister is Diane, and so my parents call me Mikey a lot of times, and they call my sister Diane, which isn't very original, <laughs> Mikey and Diane. Uh, but then they would call me, I, don't even, I can't believe I'm even saying this in public, okay? Um, they would call me Doopy. Uh, I don't know why, I don't know where it came from, but my nickname growing up was Doopy. And... <laughs> My sister's nickname was Piggy. Talk about a bad name to call a girl, right? <laughs> but there's a story back. There's a story behind it, I think. I don't know. Or my parents are just cruel, which, they, yeah, they might be that too. But those were, those were our nicknames. And still to this day, if my parents call me by my nickname, it, it warms my heart. I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. Because like it, it reminds me of my relationship with them. 
It reminds me of the, the awesome times we've had together, of, of the current relationship we have together. This is exactly what Jesus is doing with God. He's using a nickname. This isn't God's name. His name is Yahweh. His name is the name he gave to, to Abraham and uh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It's, I am who I am, I will be what I will be. And that was God's personal name, okay? This is who God had revealed himself to be. Now Jesus introduces a nickname to us. And he says, he's our father. He's our daddy. He's our dad. And he, and he gives us like a totally different aspect of the relationship, right? And it's very affectionate. It's very relational. It's very personal. It's very intimate, but it's not just a personal relationship he's establishing. He's also establishing a positional relationship. So yes, it's, it's personal. But at the same time, he's our father, which means what for us? Well, we're his children. We're his kids. And that's a positional relationship that you enter into in prayer. And when you enter into prayer through Jesus and the blood of Jesus... You're entering into this eternally existing relationship between a father, God the Father, and a son, God the Son. And we get to be a part of that. And so he says, when you start off, we can say our father. Now, don't get me wrong, you don't have to start off every prayer like that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Remember, he's giving us a model. He's not saying you have to do it this way every time. But he's saying we can do it this way. And he's showing us a new relationship with God. And he's saying, we are there as his children. And the reason that's positional is because when you recognize that he is the parent, he's the father, and you're his child, that means you relinquish something. When my, when my daughters come and ask me for something, it means that they can't do it themselves. It means that they don't even maybe want to do it themselves. That's actually more like it. (laughs) They don't want to do it themselves. Uh, But it also means that they think I'm going to do it better than they can. And they've relinquished power. They've relinquished control. And they've submitted themselves to me or Missy as their parents. And they've said, we want you to do this for us. Now, with, with... The analogy breaks down because with kids, we want them to do things for themselves, and we're trying to raise them up with that. But there's so many things for us, there's so many things for you that you think you can control, but you actually can't control. Okay? So he he starts off the prayer by giving a few... It's broken in threes, actually. So he gives three reasons, and then he gives three requests. So he gives three reasons... And those reasons are the foundation for the requests that he's going to go into. Because he says, it's basically like, if you don't believe that those first three should happen, kingdom come, will be done, hallowed be your name, there's no way you're going to believe that the last three can be done. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. So he starts off with these three reasons. So one, hallowed be your name, that just means... Holy be your name, uh, sanctified be your name, consecrated, set apart, be your name, God. And on earth as it is in heaven goes to all three of these things. So, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
a couple things here. And do you guys, a lot of you guys probably prayed the Lord's Prayer before. We just sang the Lord's Prayer. Do you guys actually want those things to happen? If you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully you do, because I don't know if you are a follower of Jesus if you don't. But these are pretty big statements. Do you want God's name to be revered as much in heaven? Uh, Yeah, as much in heaven uh, and have that here on earth? Do you really want God's kingdom to come? And do you know what that means? Because Jesus has just laid out some things, and he says, well, that means that you got to let go of your anger. That means that you got to be a person of integrity. That means that if someone smacks you in the face, you turn the other cheek. How many of you guys are, are waiting for that moment to happen in your lives? I don't, I'm not. I don't, I don't know many of us that, that want that to happen. How many of you are, you just want to be poor in spirit, and that's, your, that's, that's what you, you love about the kingdom? You know, he says, blessed are the meek. How many of you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness' sake over anything else? And that's the kingdom. So when we pray that your kingdom in heaven be your kingdom on earth, that's what we're saying, that we want those things to happen. But in actuality, most of us just want to keep control of our lives. And in the act of prayer, we're actually relinquishing control because we're submitting ourselves as his children to our father. And we're not just doing it individually. He says it's our father. So whereas it's very personal and your relationship with God is very personal, that's not, if, if your relationship with God is just you and God, that's not, your, that's not a relationship with God. It has to be in community. This is a discipleship prayer with, that the church is praying. That, uh, so it's not just, God, your kingdom come for me and you'll be, your will be done for me. It's your will be done for us. It's your kingdom come for us on earth as it is in heaven. And there's certain things that you can control, right? Dallas Willard, a guy who wrote The Divine Conspiracy and a bunch of other books, he was a philosopher at the University of South Carolina. He died a few years ago. He, he says that there's certain things that we can control, and he uses the analogy of weeds. He's like, if your yard has weeds, go pick them and get them out. Don't pray that God is going to kill them. You can actually do that yourself. You can control that. And there's certain things that we can control in our lives. Um, but he says, uh, he says, so we can do that, but there's so many other things when it comes to changing someone's heart, changing someone's mind on a larger scale. When you think about, and have you guys seen what's going on in this world this week? When you look at what's going on in this world, how can we do anything about that? Well, and, and our first response is to go do something, right? And we can do something and God wants us to take action. He wants us to be, uh, he wants us to be involved in social justice, and he wants us to go uh, feed the poor, and he wants us to engage St. Jamestown, and he wants us to do things in our city. But if we're not doing that with and in prayer, then we've lost all of our power. We've lost the reason why we're even doing those things. And those things, we can, we can feed the poor, but we can't change their hearts, we can go and do something with ISIS, but we can't change their hearts. We can go and, and, 
you know, arrest terrorists, but it's only God who changes their hearts. And that's where prayer comes in. And it seems like a waste, right? Especially if you're like me, where prayer is not your go-to. It seems like a waste to sit down, not move, in silence, and pray. It seems like a waste because we don't know the power of prayer. We don't know that when Jesus prayed, there's this one passage on the Mount of Transfiguration where his face actually changes and lights up. And Moses and Elijah appear next to him as he's praying. We don't know, we, we, don't, we don't remember that when Paul and Silas are in prison and they're singing praises and they're praying, that angels come and, and there's an earthquake in the prison and they're set free. We don't, we don't remember that the church is gathered when Peter is in prison and they're praying and all of a sudden Peter's set free from prison. We don't, we don't remember these, these accounts of, this, of the power of prayer where King Hezekiah is, has a terminal illness and he cries out to God and, and immediately God says, you're going to live 15 more years. Or when Moses prays and, and he prays so boldly because, because he knows who God is. He knows God's character. He knows that God... Uh, loves his people. He, know that God, he knows that God is to be glorified and exalted and God is good and God is merciful and just and he appeals to those things and God changes things because of that prayer. We've forgotten that prayer actually changes things and we think that we're the ones who control the outcome of things. And when it comes to things in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm, guys, our weapon is prayer. We can't control that. We can't, I can't physically reach into Daniel's chest and turn his heart. I wish I could. He needs it. <laughs> we just can't do that. But the Spirit can. And the Spirit wants to. And we just have to appeal to him. Okay, so moving on, he says, give us this day of daily bread. This is verse 11. Basically, give us what is necessary for our existence every day. Give us what's necessary for our existence. Going back to my kids, because I'm going to take this kid mentality all throughout, because that's what Jesus has established. My daughter, Reagan, she's, she's amazing. Uh, she's funny. <laughs> she's always hungry. Like, always. She actually made a sign that says, Reagan is always hungry. So like, she just holds it up. <laughs> she, she's like, look, this is me. I don't, she's like, I don't even want to waste my energy saying those words. It's going to make me more hungry, so read my sign. Now, it would be, what would it be like if I was, if, if I went into her room one day and I found that every meal she'd been stashing away a piece of that meal because she was afraid that I wouldn't give her food in the next meal? How do you think that would make me feel as a father? I'd be like, wow, gosh, you don't trust me. Like, don't you know that I love you? Like, I'm always going to give you food. I'm always going to provide for your needs. I'm never going to let you go hungry. But that's what we do with God. We, we, we can read this or we can say it. Give us this day our daily bread. Everything we need for existence. Everything that's necessary for existence. But actually, we're like, we're like the Israelites in the Old Testament storing manna away because we don't think that God's going give to it, give it to us the next day. We're storing pieces away. And, and all we're doing... Is, is showing God that we don't trust him. And so when Jesus says this, 
He's just saying, trust in your father who wants to give you everything that you need. Our problem is we think we need things and, and a lot of times we don't even need those things. But he says, trust in him. Verse 12, forgive us our sins. That, that word debts is the word, for, uh, is the word for sin. So forgive us our sins that we have, we have also forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. So how can you, basically what he's saying is, how can you ask God for forgiveness, someone you sinned against, without, ask, without giving forgiveness to someone who sinned against you? Does that make sense? So if you're going to ask God for forgiveness, you better be dealing out forgiveness. You better be giving forgiveness. Because he says when we ask God for forgiveness, it's because we've also done that. We've received his forgiveness and we're able to give it out. So, uh, and then verse 13, the, the third request is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what he's saying there is not that God leads us into temptation, because he doesn't. He says in James 1.13 that God is never going to do that. He doesn't lead us into temptation. So that's not what he's referring to. He's also not saying, pray this so that you'll never be tempted, because that's not true either. If you've been, a, if you've been alive, <laughs> if you've been a Christian too, you know that temptation is always right around the corner. Jesus, just two chapters before this, experienced a bunch of temptation. So even Jesus is experiencing temptation, right? So he's not saying that. What he is saying is this prayer is so that we're praying to God and we're pleading with him. We're, we're giving a plea to not succumb to temptation. So we're recognizing, yes, temptation is there, but we're saying, we don't want to succumb to it. Help us not. And it's, it's essentially a plea to say, I can't do this without you, God. I can't do this without you. I need your help and your power in this. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God always, in temptation, he will not allow you to bear up under it uh, to where you can't handle it, and he'll always give you a way out. Our problem is we don't, we never look for the way out, right? And our problem is we succumb to temptation so easily and so quickly. The writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 12 says, you haven't come, you haven't, you haven't experienced temptation to the point of shedding your blood yet. And you're like, wow, yeah, we haven't really experienced temptation. We haven't experienced the full breadth of it because we give in so easily. But this prayer is recognizing that and, and it's, it's saying to the Father, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. Now, Dallas Willard, he also says that in this passage, um, we often look to God's mercy. Like God is merciful in helping us do this. God is merciful in giving us our, our uh, daily bread. God is merciful in forgiving our sins. And that's true. God is, we see God's mercy there. But Dallas Willard actually says a better word for this is God's pity. And we don't like the word pity. Um, but he says pity, would, pity conveys what God's mercy actually is. We don't like, like pity because we feel like it's demeaning. We feel like we had to put a piece of ourselves aside and, and, uh, and it makes us lesser in, in some way. And what Dallas Willard is getting at is 
that that's true. That we have to recognize that we have God's pity. That God actually takes pity on us because we're just, we're just kids floundering in this world and we need him to show us what this life is all about. To live in this way, in the kingdom. And he, Dallas Willard also says, if I pray for forgiveness and it has not done anything, has not touched my pride, then I haven't prayed for forgiveness. He says, I don't even understand it if I don't recognize that I'm helpless before God and I'm only anything because I've been made in his image and he wants to restore that in me. There's three things that we'll go through quickly that I want to give you to help you in, you know, we try to give you handles for how truth engages society, but I realize in prayer, a lot of us just don't know how to pray. So there's three things the Bible says that'll help you experience a personal positional relationship with God. One, devote yourself to prayer. This is straight from Colossians 4.2. What are you devoting yourself to? A million things probably just popped into your head. Prayer probably wasn't one of them. But the Bible says devote yourselves to prayer. That'll change, that'll change your relationship with God too. Um, pray without ceasing. This is from 1 Thessalonians 5.17. That passage, <clears throat> when I started going to church, was always an enigma to me. Like, how do you pray without ceasing? Until I read something by Henry Nouwen, who says that prayer is basically redeeming your thoughts. You don't ever stop thinking, do you? So why would you ever stop praying? It's just a constant redemption of your thoughts. Pray without ceasing. Number three, do not be anxious. And also, just real quick on prayer without ceasing, it shows us that we're entering into this continual relationship with the Father and that we're always in it and that he never leaves us and that we're always in it. And then do not be anxious is from Philippians 4 to 6. You guys are familiar with that passage, I'm sure, if you've been around church. Do not be anxious in anything, but in prayer and supplication, offer your requests, make them known to God, that, the, that he'll give you peace that surpasses all understanding. So often in prayer, we approach it by, with, or in anxiety. We don't approach it with a loving, knowing that he's a loving father. We... We pray, and, and we're not sure if this will actually happen. And we say, ah, oh, God, if it's your will, and we qualify it. God, if it's your will, then let this happen. Or, or God, uh, we're, we're just tentative and, and we're timid. But when you look at the saints throughout salvation history pray, they pray with boldness because they know who God is, and they know who they are. They know that they can't do anything. They know that if this is actually going to happen... It has to be God who does it. And they know that he wants to do it and that, he's, that this is his will. And they know all those things, so they pray towards that. And they're not scared whether it's actually going to take place or not. They're not scared whether it's actually going to happen or not because they know that if, prayer, if, if their prayer doesn't get answered the way they want it, it's not that God had a deaf ear. It's because God answered it in a different way. And they knew that prayer didn't just change external realities. It did something internal with them. And every time you pray, every time you, you bow your head, every time you open your eyes, every time you, however you want to pray, prostrate, standing up, 
Every time you pray, you're entering into this eternally existing relationship between God the Father and God the Son through the power of God the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? That we get to talk to the God of this universe. And it's not, it, it's not formal. Jesus is saying, he's our dad. And we get to approach him this way. We're using a nickname. Like, that's, that's really cool. It's just really affectionate. And every time you pray, you're actually living out the gospel. If you're genuinely praying, because you're relinquishing control. You've recognized, I can't do anything. And I'm offering my request up to you, God, because I'm relinquishing my control, my semblance of, of power, and I'm giving it all to you. And I'm relying on you to make this a reality. I'm relying on you to align my will with your will. I'm relying on you to change something, God. Because you recognize that it's only him that can do it. And that's the essence of the gospel. And if you're in here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, the essence of the gospel is not that you're a sinner going to hell. The essence of the gospel is that you were never meant to do it by yourself. The essence of the gospel is that God created you beautiful and holy, and your sinful nature corrupted that, but his image is in us, and he's trying to restore that image in us. And he's trying to bring you back to beauty. He's trying to bring you back to himself. He's trying to bring you back through Jesus Christ and through the blood of Christ that, yes, has to cover our sin. And yes, our, our sinful nature is, is corrupt and it's horrible, and Jesus paid the price for it, but he bought you. And the only way to come to Jesus is to say, I can't do it myself. Is to say, I recognize that it's only you who can do that. It's only you who could have died on that cross. It's only you who lived the perfect life who could have done that for me. And a lot of you, your issue in this, in coming to Jesus, is just in relinquishing your semblance of power and control. And, and God is saying, all authority has been given to Jesus on heaven and earth. Just release whatever you think you have. Come to me through my son, Jesus. And you're going to have all authority and power in Jesus. He says, but you can't do it on your own. And every time you enter the prayer relationship, you're doing that. And the gospel is transforming you and it's changing you. And the things that you're praying for out there, a lot of times end up, God uses those to transform your own heart. So when we talk about prayer in our city, we should talk about it like God's our Father. We should talk about it like it is a personal relationship, but it's also positional, where we've recognized that we've, we're giving it all to him. Let's do that now as we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're our Father, that we are your children, that you are our God, that we are your people. Thank you that right now the reality of us just corporately speaking to you right now is we've entered into the kingdom of heaven. 
as I'm saying these words, I know I'm standing here, right here in Jarvis Collegiate, but I feel like I'm in heaven at your throne. And that's the, that's the beauty of prayer. That's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we've been brought near to you. And you've been brought near to us. So draw us to you in this time. Just teach us how to pray, Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.